what I really admire about Nike is how they're not just about building a brand, but they're about building a community of people who love to run. And I envision that for Stuckies, that it's not just we're selling pecan log rolls and kitschy souvenirs. We're building a community of people that celebrate the joys of road tripping. Episode 68, Winning at Work. I'm your host, Tony Moore. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you're enjoying all the great content that my food and beverage executives are delivering to you each week. And this week is a special one. I'm an Atlanta native. I grew up with road tripping down to Florida. And part of every road trip, you look at all the convenience stores, the gas station signs as you're driving by as a kid, And there was always Stuckies here in the South and kind of up that uh, corridor. As we had headed down to Florida, we'd stop in, get our gas, head over to the convenience store and pick up a a pecan log roll or one of the little alligators. They had so many little cute little trinkets in there. I just remember that as a kid so vividly. Stephanie is now rebranding, rebooting this nostalgic brand. I had to have her on the podcast. I wanted to understand what was the reason why she came back and bought her grandfather's brand. She's going to share with us her story, what her plans are for the brand. And she's got advice for entrepreneurs. She's got great advice, you know, how she bounces back from a no, believe it or not, she gets a lot of no's. She's got several um, sources of inspiration that I think you will find very helpful for you as you're looking for your muse, for your business, for your brand. And pay close attention to her concept of building a community. That really struck me. I think you're going to need to spend some time unpacking that. How do you build a community around your brand? You're not just there to sell something. And through all this, she's a great storyteller. And that is definitely a theme for how to rebuild a nostalgic brand. And finally, we're going to get into her guerrilla marketing techniques. That's how I phrase it, but it's truly what she's doing. And she took time out of her busy schedule from barnstorming all the events and doing her marketing to come on the show This is a fantastic episode. I hope you enjoy it. I know you will. I'll have all the links down below in the show notes so you can connect with her on LinkedIn and the other socials that she's at. Be sure to stop into a Stuckey's and get a delicious pecan roll and look for them in other convenience stores as well. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Enjoy the show. Uh, Stephanie, I'm so honored, uh, excited for you to be here today because growing up in Atlanta and being a Southerner, I remember all my road trips as a kid heading down to Florida and we always saw the Stuckies and, you know, parents would stop in and it's just these, these memories. And so here you are going through a, a brand revival. So it's really exciting to have you here to hear really what's happening right now with, with Stuckies. A lot is happening. We just bought a pecan shelling and a candy plant. So our strategy for reviving the brand is in large part wrapped around 
redoing the product and making our candy and our pecan snacks in-house ourselves for the first time since 1964. So that's really exciting. And then a lot of brand work. So much of, I think, building a company that business owners sometimes neglect is telling the story of your brand and letting people connect with you in a really emotional and personal way. So I've been spending a lot of time on that as well. Do you think that with a, a nostalgia brand, it's a little easier to connect because there's something really unique? I mean, what is it that draws people to these iconic and nostalgia brands? I would agree. You do have decades of storytelling that you can build upon with a nostalgic brand. And I think there's something really special about this era of entrepreneurship in our country really around the Great Depression, you see so many brands that are still around today that are beloved. I think of Krispy Kreme in particular because they were founded the same year as Stuckey's, 1937. But 7-Eleven, which was the first C-store in the world, uh, they were founded in Texas in the 1920s. So, so many of these brands that we have built a relationship with date back 80 plus 100 years. Moon Pie uh, just celebrated their 100th year anniversary not too long ago. So there's certainly just so many years and, and generations of people who have an affinity for the brand. And there is something special when people tell me, my grandparents love Stuckies, right? This that intergenerational interaction with the brand that really gives it lasting power. Well, it's interesting because there was a an article in the AJC and they thought you were an heiress, but that's, <laughs> you actually had to buy this back. So why did you choose to do this now? Well, almost two years now into this project. That's right. Well, it'll be two years in November. So I'm about a year and a half into my crazy comeback for Stucky's journey. So I am not your typical heiress. And if there was a visual I'm doing air quotes right now as I say heiress, and I, I've joked with my friends. <laughs> air quotes. That, yes, I'm an heiress. I'm an heiress to a pecan log roll rubber alligator fortune. It's not your typical Paris Hilton type heiress situation. But, you know, a friend of mine also pointed out, well, you're an heiress to the name. You're an heiress to this legacy that your grandfather built, and I most certainly will proudly own that part of the title. I guess. So I want to answer the question why I did it. And I, I you know, I get asked this a lot and you know, the, the answer I've been giving is because how often do you get an opportunity to reclaim a brand like that? So many families that had nostalgic brands lost the company or they sold the company for, for good reasons at the time that made sense. But the brand over the years has just lost what made it special in corporate hands. And so how often does a family get the chance to reclaim that? And, and I would say almost never. So it was that incredible opportunity. But the other thing, I heard a, a really wonderful interview with Gary V, the marketing guru the other day that inspired me. And he said something about when you make major decisions, sort of pivotal moments in your life, think about, is this a decision not only that you'll regret, but that your children and your grandchildren will regret? And I thought that's, that's why I did it. I don't want my kids or my grandkids to someday say, Mom, why didn't you buy Stuckies? Why didn't you do that? Instead, I want them to thank me for keeping this legacy alive. 
Yeah, that's a big why when you drill down a little bit deeper. And I hadn't thought about that perspective. You had mentioned offline as well that you, unfortunately, you did not get to know your grandfather that well. But when you purchased Stuckey's, you got some of his notebooks. Well, I got articles about him and, and albums and photographs. So he didn't keep a diary, but there were there were there was correspondence not between him, but just the company, and there was a company newsletter that was put out on a regular basis for years. And so I just poured through about six boxes of archival material and he really came alive for me. Now I was 12 when he died. So I did know him, but I knew him as my grandfather. I didn't know him as the CEO of Stuckey's and it's a different interaction now that I'm having with him and the brand running the company that he founded. And I'm trying so hard to be not only true to what he envisioned, but also figure out a path forward, how to, how to keep what was special about Stuckey's, but cognizant that I've got to rebuild this brand. And there's got to be a certain amount of, of remaking, reimagining in order to move the brand forward. And in any major brand that's experienced changes in any brand that's had sticking power has had these pivotal moments when they've had to dramatically alter the way they do business or they're not going to survive. And so I think Stuckey's is at that turning point and we've been at that turning point throughout the history of the company. There've been numerous pivotal moments, like when the interstate highway system came along or when the World War II hit and there were sugar rationing. And, you know, our change when I bought the company is that at this point we don't own or operate any of our stores. The franchise program is not in a good position. We don't have the capital to run a strong franchise program. So I have to figure out with limited dollars and limited access to funds, what's the best way to rebuild it, this brand. And after thoughtful study and consult with experts, my partner and I have decided the way to build this brand back is through the storytelling and also through buying the manufacturing facility and making the product ourselves. And we're going to be, we are profitable now thanks to the sale of our, our pecan log rolls and our candy line and our pecan snacks and our wonderful kitschy souvenirs. And we have a distribution facility. So it's the sale of product that's turning this brand around. So that, we've had to shift the paradigm somewhat to do that. Well, what would you say your vision is? Because you walk in, you have an idea and then you're you're hit with reality. Sometimes yeah. you're forced to change that. So are they going to align or do you think it's going to keep evolving? I'm still true to the vision, which is we make road trips fun. I really see our brand so wrapped up in the history of the road trip in this country. We really were the very first roadside retail store. And I think that's, that's a differentiating factor for us that we need to cling to as we move the brand forward. So we can still be true to that vision of we're about the road trip while we're selling product. We just have to be very mindful of how we market Stuckey's and how we tell the story of the brand. And everything is interwoven around us being part of that road trip experience. Whether you buy the product at a grocery store or you buy it at a C store on the interstate highway system, we want people to still have these memories of going on road trips and pulling over and having our pecan log rolls. Now, having said that, I have a long-term strategy, hopefully sooner rather than longer, 
where we are going to own and operate some prestige locations. And we will have some Stucky stores that we, that we are really, truly proud of that are brand forward as we, as we continue with our plans. I love that idea of brand forward. I think everyone who hears that term just, you know, kind of anticipates what the evolution will be for the store, for the product, for the image, for the apparel. So it's kind of an exciting time, right? When you actually use that phrase forward, it means there's an evolution coming. Yeah. I mean, I have a very solid idea of where I want to take this brand and we're taking small steps up up that ladder, right? And I have short victories along the way to get us there so I don't feel overwhelmed. And, and I'll give you a great example. And hopefully this has meaning for other entrepreneurs who are listening to this podcast that you should set these big, audacious, visionary type goals, but also put in place these smaller steps that will get you there. So you have these victories that can propel you forward and keep up your energy level. Because if you don't keep up your energy level, you're not going to be a success with reimagining a brand or creating a brand from scratch. So one of the things I was working on today before this podcast is trying, hopefully, to see if we can get stuckies in some kiosk at malls at the holiday time, which would be great. And we could have these little kiosks that look like stucky stores. So it'll evoke that road trip experience, but it will get our brand out there. It will get our product out there. And so I'm talking to some potential partners who can help us uh, make that make that happen. So power of partnerships and collaborations are so essential if you're a scrappy comeback brand and, and you're lacking in resources. You got to figure out, all right, who can I partner with and, and can help me achieve some of these goals that I've got in place? Yeah, I love that. You know, the start small, have some early wins, early victories, because it can be emotionally draining. We were just talking, you know, offline that you're you're at a conference this week, you're at a conference next week, and, you know, you're engaging in guerrilla marketing. You know, you're getting out there and, and putting your face in front of everyone. And to do that, you've got to have this, you know, spring of uh, of energy. You have to keep your spirits up because I, I was talking to one of a member of our team today. And I, I said, Hey, I think we, we potentially have landed a good account. And I said, you know, I'm just telling you the positive. I don't tell you like for every yes, we get there's five no's and you just have to not let the no's bring you down and really cling on to those yeses to bolster your energy level. But whenever I get a no, I just, tell myself, all right, you've got to make five ask. That's how you're going to bounce back from that. No, put five ask out there because one of them is going to be interested and you just have to keep pushing forward. And you've got to be able to accept rejection with grace and (laughs) as part of the learning process and think, all right, that just wasn't the right fit. Somebody else out there is the right fit. And I'm going to, I'm going to keep mushing on. Well, when you have the passion and the commitment, you can do that. Speaking of the passion and such, where else do you draw your inspiration? Are there other brands? Are there other people that you draw from? There are so many. I certainly look at other nostalgic brands because I consider us almost in this vintage 
club, so to speak. And I absolutely love Moon Pie and their marketing. I referenced them earlier as having just celebrated a hundred years. So talk about a brand that has sticking power. And if you don't follow their Twitter feed, you should. It's incredible how this brand has really taken off in social media. And I've gotten to know their marketing director who is really just so wonderful and giving. I think that's the cool thing I would love to stress is that a lot of these companies, yes, there's competition out there and it can be cutthroat, but there's also a lot of partnerships and supporting one another that doesn't always make the headlines. I think it's more interesting to talk about the cola wars and how Coke and Pepsi hate each other than to celebrate how there really are these brands that get along. Uh, I love Moon Pie. I love Goo Goo Cluster. I love Little Debbie snack cakes and Claxton fruit cakes. Lord knows we sold so many of those. So all of those are brands that I admire, sort of in the nostalgic candy club, so to speak. I also admire uh, uh, Red Flyer, Radio Flyer. Sorry, I had a mind yeah, gap for wagon. a second. Radio Flyer, the Red Wagon. Yes, that's a I cool knew brand instantly. That's being run yes. by the third generation fo- uh, of the founder. Yeah, that's um, that again iconic. Everyone remembers that growing up, their parents, you know, wheeling them around in that. I wonder if they got into sleds too. I don't know. I know they have the wheelbarrows. I wonder if they did the little red sleds. We wouldn't really know about that, would we? Here in the South, we didn't. Get, we don't get too many snowstorms. Well, here's the thing, and and you should you should follow Robert, and I'm going to mispronounce his last name, so I'm not going to say it. But the 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 CEO of Radio Flyer, follow him on social on LinkedIn because he's been posting about how they're working on e-bikes, electric bikes, right now. So they're evolving the brand, but of course they still make the classic Radio Flyer Red Wagon that we all remember. So that's one I admire. Uh, certainly admire uh, uh, entrepreneurial type CEOs. Uh, Phil Knight with Nike is one that I reference a lot because I just absolutely loved the book Shoe Dog, which is his autobiography and so inspirational about how he was literally on the brink of bankruptcy and was able to turn the brand into inc- an incredibly profitable success. And what I really admire about Nike is how they're not just about building a brand, but they're about building a community of people who love to run. And I envision that for Stuckey's, that it's not just we're selling pecan log rolls and kitschy souvenirs. We're building a community of people that celebrate the joys of road tripping. So if you wrap your head around something that's really so much bigger than just selling a product or a service that's when you have more than a product or a service, but you have a brand and a brand that's going to last for generations if you're lucky and you do it right. Well, I love that you've identified very clearly what you are, and that's that love of road tripping. And instantly you start getting these ideas of, you think about all the RVs and all the you know caravans of people that go off. I mean, you could just imagine you know, RVs in, in shrink wrap or, you know, at an RV park somewhere where people have just traveled. I mean, there's lots of ways to, you know, to tie into that, um, that great idea. Yes. I would love to be. And so if anyone with KOA campgrounds is listening, please call me. I would love to have Stucky's products for sale at KOA campgrounds. Just such a natural fit. So anyone who likes to road trip people on motorcyclists, 
and truck drivers, people who travel for business, people who travel for pleasure, young couples exploring America before they decide to have kids, retirees, people right out of college. That's when I did my great American road trip when I just finished college with my best friend and we went to California and back. And so all of those people, uh, rock bands, athletes, touring baseball teams, there's so many people who road trip for a living or for fun or just because that's what they do all the time because they've got the time on their hands. Those are all people that could be part of the Stucky tribe. So let's say you were an entrepreneur and you're looking at a, a brand revival. And I know you've touched on some of the key topics, points that, that you're going about doing. What other advice would you give? Well, like I said earlier, think about being bigger than the product or the service you're offering. Think about what sort of community do we want to have around this product, around this service? So when you, when you rethink what you're doing in terms of I'm building a community, then that's what really is going to make your brand take off. Airbnb is another good example. I just finished reading the story of Airbnb, which is a really good book. And they weren't just about providing a couch in somebody's home where you could sleep, which was originally the concept, by the way, Airbnb came from, they wanted everyone to have an air mattress. And it literally was in your home, you would, you would welcome people in. It wasn't what it's evolved into today. But the concept that they were really building it around was they wanted an experience for travelers that was local, that was personal, that was really getting to know a place, that you're not just staying in the touristy section of town where the typical hotels are sited, the chain hotels that we're all used to, but they wanted people to have this curated experience where you go stay in a neighborhood and you walk around and you get to know the local coffee shops and you really get to see a city or a community in a way that is, I think, the way it really should be experienced. So that's what Airbnb is really about. It's not necessarily about renting out your home and making a profit, although that certainly is critical to the business. And if your business isn't making a profit, then it's not going to survive. But there's making a profit and there's building a brand. And to really be what I think you, you know, which is really be what gets me up in the morning and gets me excited. It's got to be bigger than making a profit. Well, you touched on this earlier. You said that storytelling was really the key here, and I think that taps into one of your superpowers. That's something that we talk about quite a bit here on this podcast, and it it certainly sounds like creativity is certainly maybe one of your top top strengths. Yeah, so back to the Airbnb story, there were three founders, and the one that I think that is most in the media, but all three of them, it really is a trifecta, but the, the one who's in the news the most, his last name's Chesky, and he is a graduate of RISD, the Rhode Island School of Design. He's got a design creative arts background, and one of the things he advocates when he talks to these big business conferences is the value of creativity in running a business, and I think too often that's overlooked. 
And we often ask artists and creatives to be more businesslike in order to be successful. Well, I think we should be calling upon people in the business community to tap into their inner creativity because that to me is such a critical differentiator. And, and if you don't have that creative storytelling, people aren't going to connect with your brand. And it's all about relationships. You can have a relationship with a brand, just like you can have a relationship with a person. And if you have a brand that's connected with a person, that's even more powerful. And I think that in some ways is why my story has gotten some traction, especially on LinkedIn. I've, I've been very blessed to have people who are following the story and relating to it. And I'm so very grateful for that. And I think it's because the brand is personal. The brand is my, it's my family. It's my last name up there on those billboards and it's my name on the candy wrapper. And so when people have a real connection with a brand, another great example is Colonel Sanders, right? There's a real person there. And when you, when you see that there's a real person there, it just, it makes it relatable. So you've got to incorporate storytelling. And I'm so lucky that I can just tap into this rich reservoir, those six boxes of archives that my grandfather left me. But even if you are just starting out and you've got a fresh brand that you've come up with this idea that is addressing a need that people have and you want to build your brand, you've still got a story. Everyone has a story. And it's just being able to communicate it in a way that's, uh, in, in many respects, you're going to have to be vulnerable. You're going to have to be willing to put yourself out there and hold your breath when you hit the post button and hope that people connect with it. And keep in mind, you're going to have some people who don't like you when you put it out there. I get, I get some crappy comments sometimes. I got one today that somebody just eviscerated me and you just have to, you just have to, that's part of it. That's just part of the process. If you put yourself out there, not everyone's going to love you and that's okay. There's just got to be enough people who get you and your brand and what you're doing to be a success. You know, I, it sounds like you're also advocating for people to be storytellers for their own personal brands. It just so happens that your name is associated with the company. But I think, I just think that is fantastic advice. Just you are your brand. You have to push it out there and be relatable and be memorable and be ready for some uh, kickback. Yeah. And if you're the CEO of a huge corporation that's been around forever and you came in from another corporation, you can still be personable. And uh, a good example that I've been following on LinkedIn, and I'm sorry, I should know his name, but I follow the post is the CEO of Ulta Beauty. He's got posts up there every week in the stores, talking to the, the staff, really connecting with the brand. And I love it. And I, I do think it is kind of interesting and funny, maybe a bit ironic that it's a guy who's heading up a beauty products brand that <laughs> exactly. caters I, primarily to women, but he's, he's boots on the ground. He's in the store. He's, he's with the product. He's connecting with people and in a personal way and makes me want to pull over to Ulta and start shopping there. And I actually, I do shop there. I go to Sephora and Ulta, but I've started going to Ulta more just because I've been seeing those posts and I really like 
the way he's putting himself out there in somewhat of a vulnerable way. Dave Kimball, that's his Dave name. Kimball, thank you. Dave Kimball, if you're listening to this, I would be flattered beyond words, but my apologies. <laughs> well, I mean, to your point, I mean, my whole family goes to goes to Ulta and I don't know that they have seen these um seen these posts, but they do draw you in. The other person I was gonna say you this reminds me of is Dave from um Wendy's. Dave Thomas. Thomas. Yes. He, he, okay. So here's the other thing I would point out about the Dave Thomas story. And it's a, it's a fascinating story. I'm reading a book that I got at a thrift store for a dollar called roadside revival. And it's all about franchises. It's just amazing. I found this book, but they told the story of Dave Thomas in the book and he decided he could make a better hamburger. And people thought he was crazy because at the time there was McDonald's and Burger King and there were a myriad of other chains, but McDonald's and Burger King are the two big players in the burger world and have been for decades. And everyone just scoffed at the notion that he could come out with a better burger. But if you remember, if you're around during that time, he came out with the campaign, where's the beef? And he said, yeah, McDonald's has a burger, but it's really kind of slim. There's not, there's not enough beef there. Where's the beef? And then he came up with that square burger that you could see sticking out of the bun. And then he did those delicious sesame seed buns. And then he put his daughter, Wendy, on the ads. And, he, and then the advertising execs convinced him to be in the ads. He originally did not want to be in the ads, but they said, you're, you're folksy, you're relatable. We want you in the ads. And he ended up making dozens of those ads and becoming a, a mini celebrity. And, and it's really attributed to those personal ads that the brand grew. By the way, he got his start working with Kentucky Fried Chicken and was very close to Colonel Sanders. Colonel Carlin Sanders was Dave Thomas's mentor. Isn't that interesting? It's all in yeah. the food space. And of course, yeah. right here we have in Atlanta, the, one of the most iconic food brands from the last d few decades in Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Amazing brand. Um, Stephanie, what, the, the advice that you're giving is really coming from your heart. And I think that's what I, I've really loved about talking through this process with you is that you're just pouring yourself into this. And I'm really just getting the sense that that is how you revive a brand is that you pour yourself into it. You're not afraid to be vulnerable and put yourself out there. Exactly. And to have a strong sense of what you're about. So I spent hours and hours really having thoughtful and extremely honest conversations with people I trusted about the Stuckey's brand. And we talked about everything, what's not great, what we think is wonderful, and what we should be about. And we had very heated debates about whether we should be about the pecan, whether we should be about the road trip, what's really our raison d'etre, our reason for being. And this was not without a lot of real deliberation and, and writing out various proposals to get a sense of, of where we thought this brand has been, is, and will be. And I think that's critical to have those conversations. And then once you decide what you're about, then just be all in. 
It's interesting. You almost answered a question I had. I wasn't sure how I could lead into it because I was thinking, you know, big brands, they can tap into marketing research. They can discover their customer sentiment. And I was really curious if, if you went through that process to try to uncover, you know, what research or what data was saying, you know, what was the customer experience? But it sounds like you did something just, again, very, very gorilla, very close to home and, and had those conversations. Well, all right, so here's the beauty of social media, and it's a great equalizer in many respects because I can't afford a marketing firm, and we really are doing the guerrilla marketing, as you say. But there's, in many ways, I think there's more value in the way I'm doing marketing than even hiring an, an expensive firm that would do test group uh, marketing and, and focus groups. We can't afford that, but here's what I can afford. I can do posts on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and I can read the comments and I can read the messages that people send me. And sometimes I think people are willing to be more open in these posts because they're doing it of their own accord. Nobody's paying them. Nobody's sitting them down with a microphone or a pad of paper or, you know, recording their every utterance where you feel a little more on stage or on guard. I think there's something very fresh and spontaneous about what makes people click that comment section and give you their feedback. And there's a certain amount of being, being able to be anonymous on some of these social media posts, even if you do have your name, a lot of people have these posts that, yeah, you know, these monikers that they can hide personas. under. That's right. And that's, that's fine. I think there's a, an honesty to some of those where people will say what they really think. And I don't always have the time to provide thoughtful responses to some of the posts, but I most definitely read all the comments. I also have had the Yelp and the Google comments, uh, I, I, I now have claimed all the Google sites for all the Stuckey's locations. And so all of those comments go to my inbox and I read them all. And I respond to a lot of the Yelp comments, especially I respond to within 24 hours, the Amazon comments. So that to me is just a treasure trove of information and market research if you just mine it. And I think in many respects, hiring a marketing firm is lazy research because somebody else is doing it for you. I'm doing this myself and I'm really learning it. The other thing I do is I literally will sit in a Stuckey's for hours and talk to people as they come in. And people, people will talk to you and every now and then people will brush you off and you've got to be okay with that. But if you're pleasant and say, Hey, can I just ask you where you're coming from? Are you on vacation? What, what made you want to pull over at this store as opposed to the one across the street? People will tell you. I have pages and pages of notebooks that I've just written down comments from people. And then I go to the competitors. I've been to Bucky's. I've been to pilot. I've been to loves. And I look at the customers and I notice what makes them pull over. I talk to them. So I do. And that's exactly the way my grandfather did research. Here's the other thing he did, which I do today. Look at the license plates in the parking lot. Where are the customers coming from? Are they local? Are they traveling? Are they coming from the north? Are they coming from the south? 
Who's your customer? Are they family, suburban, you know, SUV type cars? Are they sports cars? Are there motorcycles? Are there truckers? Know your customer. Look in the parking lot and see who's pulling over. It's a brilliant common sense strategy. Yeah, and it doesn't cost as much money, although your time is money, and I'm very mindful of that. But I think that is time well spent, understanding your customer, because if you don't know who you're selling to, why are you doing it? You you can have the best product in the world. It doesn't matter if nobody connects with it and nobody's buying it. So you've got to know, it's just like public speaking. The number one rule of public speaking is know your audience. The number one rule of sales is know your customer. You can have the best product and the wrong pitch and it's not going to sell. You can have the best pitch and a bad product and it will sell. Look at Pet Rocks. <laughs> right. Well, I also think this gives you it's all, it's all about I think this sizzle. gives you a lot of confidence too when you do make a decision that you've seen firsthand that the decision you're making is based on this data. Like you say, it's it's not being done by someone else. I think that gives you a, a confidence to make a decision, particularly if it's a financial one. I agree. Yeah, it's it's been working for us. We we are profitable, which we weren't when I first purchased the company, and sales are solid and increasing. I think the future looks really bright. Yeah, for it us. sounds like it's a it's a pretty exciting time. And you've mentioned that there may be some other flagship stores that you're looking to get into. So those would be company owned, I imagine, and everything else is. Um, Kind of, uh, you've kind of insourced the Stucky idea and theme and food within other convenience stores. So these would be yours. Yeah, we have some legacy stores. So at this point, we're not actively franchising and we're actually converting our existing stores to licensing because we really don't operate a license, a franchise program. We're not offering point of sale data. We don't take a percentage of profit. We, don't have a national marketing campaign. We don't have an operations director, an operations manual. We don't have the traditional, what you think of indicia of operating a franchise system. It's really a licensing program. And we have some legacy stores, frankly, that are amazing that I'm delighted are still around and we celebrate. And there's some that aren't so good that we're debranding and we're in the process of doing that thoughtfully. And then uh, we've got a, a fair amount of stores that just need some fixing up, and we're trying to work with them. And then as we move forward, we'll, we'll have our corporate-owned locations. We do have one corporate-owned store that is connected to our candy plant in Renz, Georgia. And we just, as I, I, I called it, stuckying up the store. We stuckied it up last week. <laughs> right. We had six pallets of merchandise, 300 SKUs, and it's coming along. I think in another week, I'll be, I'll be back there on Wednesday to put the finishing touches on the first load. And and we need to restock some more inventory, but it's coming along. I love that idea. Stuckying up the joint. Stucky it up. Stucky it up. <laughs> Maybe that's a, a, a secondary logo brand. Right. Um, stucky it yeah, up. Stucky it up. Let's go. <laughs> So help entrepreneurs that are faced with hiring. We, we mentioned a little bit offline that we do, you know, we like to touch on, on talent and you've been exposed throughout your career to, to talent and to hiring and managing people. What would your best advice be for people who are, who are on a budget, but are hiring strategies to use? 
Well, a couple of pointers. One is, and you hear this a lot, but it's because it's true, is hire people with grit. And I look for that more than anything. I look for people who've stuck with a job for a couple of years before moving on. Now, that doesn't mean I will automatically rule out someone if I see on the resume they only worked somewhere for a year, for example, because there could be extenuating circumstances. But I always ask about it. I, I have to say I'm impressed when I see people have stuck with a job, people who have really exhibited resilience and the ability to bounce back. And I, I am less focused on where someone went to college. Sometimes I think if someone went to a community college and they had to work their way through school, that is so much more impressive to me than someone who had their parents pay for them to go to an Ivy League. It just depends. I'm not, I'm not ruling out the Ivy League leaguers, but I think sometimes like people just get so focused on things that don't really show what a true character of a job candidate is about. And so I try to look for that grit factor. The other thing is I look for building a team. And so there could be a, an applicant who is just amazingly qualified for a number of jobs, but we may already have that skill set on the team and we need someone with a different skill set. So I think that's, that's something that's often overlooked. Like you get so focused on just that specific job and that specific skill set that you don't look at this person has to interrelate with our entire team and to have a, a successful venture, whether it's business or philanthropy or government. And I've worked in all those sectors. It's about team. It's about collaboration. The best leaders are those who recognize the gaps in their skill set and complement them with people who fill those gaps. And it's not just skills, it's personality, it's temperament. If you're high strung, you need to pair yourself with someone who's a little more mellow and laid back or else you're just going to self-destruct, right? And so I look for building that team when we're hiring. And then we also have frontline positions that are frankly entry level and low paying. And so we're working really hard to make sure that we put together a structure that shows there's a pathway to moving up, that if you get that minimum wage entry-level position, you know you're not going to necessarily stay at that entry-level position for long, that if you work hard, we've, we're putting in place right now at Stuckey's at our candy plant, a program where... We're going to cross train you. We're going to teach you to work on different lines. You're not just going to be on the chocolate line. You can be in the pecan roasting room and you can also be in the bagging room. And then you can be in the packaging room that's working on fulfilling our online orders. And we'll cross train you to work on the different lines. And that way you can be promoted to managerial positions. You can be, you know, and as you cross train and learn the different skill sets, you'll have an increase in pay. So we're, we're putting all that together in a way that will demonstrate to people, we're not just looking for entry-level positions that you're stuck in for a long time. We want people to have growth and opportunity if they come to work for Stuckey's. And I want you to think, if you start out working on the candy line, you could one day be a manager if you have grit and if you work hard. So that's, that's what I want for our company as we move forward. Yeah, great advice. And... I think I would tend to agree with you on resilience over 
uh, prestige of a degree. And, yeah. and, and there is a place. Look, there is a place for that. But if you've pulled yourself up by the bootstraps and had to overcome a lot, you know that person's going to find a way to help you and the company and the brand overcome all the challenges that are coming its way. Exactly. Yeah, it definitely gives you a confidence. Stephanie, this has just been fantastic. It's been a little walk down memory lane for me, I know. And I think for the people who are listening, I think they're um, going to be encouraged to hear that this um, – do, do you call it a folksy brand? Is that is that how you would call it, a folksy? No. Yeah. And you know what? I'd say we're a drive down the memory highway, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love so it. The I, road I'll, to revival. I'll own folksy. I'll own scrappy. I think all of those apply to us. I love it. I love it. And there is an e-commerce store, right? So people can go buy the famous pecan yes. log. Great. You can ride the e-commerce highway and uh, get on the cyber highway and purchase our products. And we have every month we'll have a promotional box. So we're doing the Father's Day box right now, and that will soon become the For Him box. So it will be year-round, and then we'll have a summer box up very shortly for July. So we're always running some promotion and some special. And very, very soon we will be selling our new pecan log rolls and our mystery boxes. So Help us uh, move some inventory. <laughs> <laughs> I like the sound of that. It's been sitting on our shelves for a while, and you'll get all sorts of fun surprises. You'll never know what ends up in that mystery box, but there will definitely be some of our new candy product in it. Oh, that's great. Now, if people want to follow you on the socials, which which one should they go to, and, and how do they find you? LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And Facebook and LinkedIn are just Stephanie Stuckey. And then the others are at Stucky Stop. And I'm working on TikTok. I, Gary Vee has been talking about TikTok for years, and I know we need to be on there. But I think that our space right now is more Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. But look for us on you. Oh, and we do have a YouTube channel. It needs some. It, we need to add more videos, but we do you have stucky it up. We do have a handful of videos up on YouTube, and that's just Stucky's Corp. <laughs> I, I I like what I said. You got to stucky up your your YouTube page. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. And Stucky's pecans is is typically what you'll find us. Our corporate posts are going to be on Stucky's pecans. And if you follow me, or if you follow Stucky's pecans, I we cross promote each other. I run both sites, so <laughs> you'll see a lot of the same content. Well, Stephanie, this has been a, a, a great little mini masterclass in, in how to revive a brand, how to define the why and, and get close to that customer. And as you say, just get those baby wins along the way to keep, keep that fuel going. Well, thank you for the opportunity to tell our story. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure, Stephanie.